You, you should add lesbian spank inferno to that list. Welcome to another episode of Let's Rewatch, the show where we watch movies that we loved in our youth and see if they're still actually any good. As always, I'm Nick. I'm Brett. I'm Sam. I'm Ash. Mine's and that's Bryce. And this week we are we're, we're kind of following up on our previous episode. Uh, this this time around we're going to watch Stand by Me from 1986. We can't get enough of little boys. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! No, no. no. totally kidding. Control Z, Control Z. Uh, you guys didn't even read the little blurb I did on the on the release from because the last you one. released it so on time. Yeah, like, sorry. What does it say? <laughs> it was just that Nick talks at length about an entirely different movie, and that's this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now we get to actually watch the movie that I was talking about last time. But, you know, I, I wanted to kind of, I don't know if apologize is the right word, maybe maybe reel back a little bit on my reaction to The Sandlot. Because, you know, talking to Bryce, I think Bryce kind of woke me up to the fact that the things that we see in The Sandlot and in Stand By Me, it's not that Sandlot was stealing anything. It's just this is a way that they told stories. And it, it happened a lot in the 80s. It happened in A Christmas Story. It happened in The Wonder Years. Mm. Oh, yeah, because Bryce made the Christmas Story comparison. Yeah. I can't remember if you made that on mic or off mic, but... It was off mic. It was I off don't, mic. We, we didn't hear that. Oh, okay. And it was something Bryce and I were talking about later. Because <laughs> Bryce doesn't talk when a mic's in the yeah. room. But I think if if you were to blame one, you know, buddy cop movie for stealing the style of another buddy cop movie, or, you know, there's so many just kind of genres and types and, you know, whatever. And I think that Sandlot is a very funny movie and a very Yay! enjoyable movie for people of that age. <laughs> and maybe I was just too clocked into the similarities to... I actually, I've been thinking about it a bit over the week too. And I think I was a little too harsh on it as well. I think, I think it was pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys made me so sad. I had so many fun things. <laughs> Sam, Sam was like, I can't believe they hated it. <laughs> I was like sad all week. And I had like told Aww. my coworkers about it. And they're like, how was the Sandlot? And I was like, they hated Aww. it. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I went into it with, not knowing a lot about the movie, and I had, hey, welcome to another podcast where we talk about a different movie than the movie we're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's but, just a double feature. Yeah. It's the Sandlot Stand By Me double. <laughs> but um, I feel like uh, I went in just not expecting a sports movie, and if I had I, known- What? <laughs> what? I, like it's I called said, The Sandlot. No one knows what the fuck that is. Yeah, I, I didn't like- I just really didn't know what to expect. And so that took me off guard and I violently hate sports. So I had a reaction, but I think that it was actually a pretty charming movie. And I would, like I said, I do stand by the statement though. <laughs> stand by me. I stand by the statement that I would much rather watch Sandlot again than Goonies personally. Mm. I liked it. I think I liked it a lot more than Goonies. Yeah. I, I agreed with you on that. So for what it's worth, Ralph Varlazy, if if you listened to our last episode and you were bummed out, you know, we, <laughs> you're clearly listening to this one then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Hopefully you haven't bailed on us. 
And and I haven't seen your feedback yet because we're literally recording this on the day that the Sandlot episode released. But uh, if you're bummed out with our reaction to Sandlot, we apologize. We're sorry. We still I, love you. Don't worry, Ralph. I stood by you the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Have so I'm really excited season. about today and getting to finally see, you know, that same movie format. Oh my format, God, you made a stand by me joke, didn't you? What? <laughs> Me? I just Brett. got it. No, you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Brett. I just, it just hit me. I was going to say, um, I'm really excited this week to finally get to see uh, what Nick was talking about, about the movies being so similar. Because, uh, man, I'm really looking forward to a good comedy. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I, I actually think it will be fun. And, and yes, I get your gag, Brett. This is not a comedy. But it's 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 a very fun movie. It's got some heavy stuff here and there. Wait, it's not a comedy? But I think it's actually going to be kind of fun as we're watching it to see all of the similarities in storytelling style to The Sandlot. How long has it been since you've seen this? Um, I can't be sure. It's been a while. But I still think my memory is pretty fresh because I've seen it plenty and I really, really love it. You know what would be so hilarious, though, is if we watch it and at the end you're like, I've never seen this movie. I've just seen The Sandlot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that after Nick won that bet, he went out and bought the highest horse he could find. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we're going to sit down and watch this movie and it's going to be so fucking nothing like. Okay, (laughs) okay, okay. No, 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 no more. Bets, no, 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 bet that it's similar. I will, I will not say no more bets. I want very much to have bets in the future, but they have to be on on factual data. We can't make bets on our opinion because somebody would say, Oh, I love this movie just as somebody else has to drink Bekarovka. But I, I plan for more bets in the future to be sure. (laughs) I don't trust myself enough. Apparently, you shouldn't trust me. So let's uh, let's get a little familiar with the movie we're going to be watching. This, of course, is Stand By Me from 1986, uh, based on a short story written by Stephen King called The Body. Whoa, really? I didn't know yeah, that. This yeah, this is a Stephen King wow. story. Um, so so if it are, is going to be scary. Intense. Something. Something like that. Eh, I mean, don't peg Stephen King as only horror. Okay. Yeah, Stephen but, King has some good not horror stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, eleven twenty two sixty three, which Brett and I are just watching. Oh, a Stephen yes. King time travel story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole Dark Tower series that was yeah. pretty pretty good. So yeah, if you're if you're looking for the book, it's not a book; it's a short story in a larger collection, and the short story is called The Body. It was also made into a movie called The Bodyguard, right? Doubtful, <laughs> but you can find that on Google. Um, this movie was in, uh, released in 1986, directed by Rob Reiner, who you all love, but may not realize that you all love. Um, Did I was, he direct something in 1993? Because then I love him. No, he actually took 1993 <laughs> off, oh. um, but he's got a great movie in 92 and 94. Let me just rattle not, off. Not as good years, not as good vintage <laughs> these these are the movies that he directed between 1984 and 1995, and this is a fucking list. This is Spinal Tap. Oh my god! The I Sure Thing that movie. Stand by Me, Princess Bride, When <gasps> Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men, North, 
the American president. Wow, he's just all over the map, isn't he? That's a list, man. So yeah, uh, Rob Reiner, freaking awesome. And and it's funny, Carl Reiner, his dad, was doing awesome shit at this time too. Like they're just both are amazing. Wow. So we've got a uh, a cast of four. You know, I guess we'll call them child actors all of which we know and love and grew up to be freaking amazing. We have Will Wheaton, who, of course, we all know from Star Trek The Next Generation. This is like the only thing I know about this movie is that Will Wheaton's in it mm. and that there's train tracks. Okay. And that there's three other small boys. But that's yeah. all I know. Okay. Uh, so we've got River Phoenix, a fantastic child and teenage actor, wow. um, you know, Died too soon. He would be amazing right now if he were still going. Um, we know him from Explorers. Uh, he was young Indiana Jones before young Indiana Jones. He was in Last Crusade oh, in the very beginning. Nice. Um, My Own Private Idaho and Sneakers, which is another movie that I absolutely worship. I've and literally I'm, never heard of that movie. Uh, Robert Redford. It's this kind of uh, spy sort of thing. It's... An absolute masterpiece. Um, definitely worth checking out. Um, Corey Feldman, who we've seen recently in Goonies, and we've been remembering him from Lost Boys, um, and just generally being the weird, awesome Corey Feldman experience. Awesome? Would you call that awesome? Yes, I love Corey Feldman. Have you seen him lately? Well, yeah, I saw him lately in Goonies. <laughs> That's all I need. Then we have Jerry O'Connell, who is the only one of the four main actors in this movie who is not in an episode of Family Ties, I learned today. Um, we know him uh, from Sliders. Um, oh, which, Sliders. Yeah, that TV show about tiny cheeseburgers. <laughs> wow, that was a Bryce joke. <laughs> um, and then he had this resurgence with uh, Joe's Apartment and Jerry Maguire. Here's, I know I'm always talking about shows that got canceled early that I love that people haven't seen, but he was in two of these. If you haven't seen Carpoolers, which I think only ran for one season. I haven't. And I thought was absolutely brilliant. And uh, what was it? In two oh, wait, you told me about Carpoolers, I think, at one time. Yeah. Where, and it is, they're like commuting together, yeah. right? And the, it's, These it's four comedy. guys who carpool to work. Mm -hmm way smarter and funnier than it ever Sounds. should be. <laughs> um, and one of the kids in the hall guys created that show. Um, I can't oh. remember which one. But um, more recently in 2012, Brian Fuller did a, uh, a pilot for a remake of The Munsters, simply called oh, yeah. Mockingbird Lane. And mm. Jerry O'Connell was Herman Munster in this. Oh, that's right. And it did not get picked up for series, but they released that episode as like a Halloween special. So look up Mockingbird Lane. It's way better than you would ever expect. I mean, wow. the Munsters as done by Brian Fuller. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. That is amazing. Brilliant. Wow. A couple other fun actors. Marshall Bell, I think, has a, a tiny part, but a Fucking beautiful part oh, in no, this movie. No, he doesn't ring a bell. We saw him in um, Total Recall, oh. Starship Troopers. He's one of those like badass manly men sort of guys. Oh, okay. That's and, why his, he probably just blends into the background for me. Yeah, yeah, he's not like super famous, but you <laughs> see him in a lot of stuff. And he just has this beautiful small part in this movie that, yeah. 
And then we've got Kiefer Sutherland and Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, Lots of, of great, great actors in this movie. Wow. Lots of men. That's a really good point. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's kind of what we were talking about in Sandlot as well. You know, when you tell a story from the point of view of a 12-year-old boy, they don't really act, they don't inter- interact with 12-year-old girls very much. Yeah, it's a it's a male. We did heavy. have some interaction though in Sandlot. Yeah, just <laughs> even though it was creepy. Yeah, all very creepy. <laughs> <laughs> even though it was sexual harassment. So yeah, I'm I'm of course expecting good things out of this, and and I'm gonna be the one sitting on the edge of my seat, hoping you guys love this. And it seems like most, if not all, of you have not seen this movie. Have any of you seen this movie? None I know you. that that a long time ago, so the I, is no. I saw a part of this movie, maybe the whole thing, but I was too young. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of it wow. except that they were in the forest or some shit. Yeah. Are they the, yeah, I remember train tracks yeah. and I remember I've seen images of like the kids on the train tracks. I, have a theory about something happening, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to like spoil it in case yeah. I'm right. But I don't, I it's like I have no idea if I'm right. I just like get that feeling from, yeah, it's whatever. like we have you and me both have like the ten dollar psychics reading of this movie, yeah. <laughs> like, what was there a forest? Like, <laughs> perhaps yes. some train tracks, yes, yes, you know me perfectly. <laughs> Did you have? Problems when you were younger, perhaps. <laughs> you you faced strife in your lifetime. <laughs> How did you know? I'm hearing G. Is there somebody whose name begins with G? No. Is there is there a G in their name? How about Golly G? Does, you know anyone who says that a lot? Sorry, sorry. We're, we don't mean to make fun of psychics. If there's any who listen. For yeah, the no. record, I do. Yeah, I yeah. You're alone mean on that to make one. Fun of psychics. <laughs> Psychics are baloney. <laughs> they should be shamed. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. An apology from one fifth of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us this long. I predict you won't be listening any longer. <laughs> so is that, what does that say for your expectation of the movie? I expect that it's going to be very sad and that, I expect, I'll just say, I'll say this because I think it's a pretty general view of it without like any spoilers. I expect that something sad will happen at the end, but I expect that it's kind of a coming of age story, just like Sandlot was a little bit of a coming in age story. But I feel like this is going to be more of a coming in age story where it's going to be about these boys coming together in a traumatic situation and growing up kind of. Mm -hmm. That's just the vibe I get whenever anybody talks about this movie. Um, but well, I mean, and the name stand by me kind of <laughs> implies yeah. a lot. So that's all, that's my only expectation, but I don't really know anything else about it. Yeah. That's interesting. It's like, how much can you judge a movie based on the effect that it's had on other people? Yeah. And I think this movie has a strong effect on people who do love it. Yeah. People, whenever I hear people talk about this movie, they all have like the same sort of tone about it. So yeah. Except well, for Will Wheaton, who, when he talks about this movie, hates it. 
Oh, interesting. I haven't heard him say anything about it. Well, I, I've i heard him talk to Chris Hardwick on the Nerdist podcast about it. And like, I don't, maybe hate is too strong of a mm. word, but he like, um, it was such a big part of his identity for so long. And yeah. he didn't like that, I think. You mm. know, he didn't like that that was the thing that people. <laughs> he didn't like that with. that was the thing oh, people yeah. associated him say with. that about Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean that too, but um but you, you know, know, he's really good in this. Like if if that's what people remember him for, they're remembering him for something very, very good. Like he would tell stories about how he would be in a restaurant with friends and the friends just to fuck around would go to the jukebox oh, no. and play stand by me. <laughs> you know, like shit like that where it's like like my name is Ash and I get Pokemon jokes all the time. Like it's probably, it just gets annoying after a while. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Brad? Are you going to like it? If it's as serious as I recall it being, I have a feeling, especially with the, with the mood I'm in this evening, it's going to be like when me and Sam watched atonement. Oh, oh please oh, don't. Don't. Oh. <laughs> You ruined, you didn't even give that movie a chance. No, I didn't. Um, no, I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a pretty good movie. Uh, Wait, do you like it now, Sam? Because you didn't like it when you guys saw it. I haven't seen it since the theater. Atonement. Atonement. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have never seen Stand By Me. I made a mockery of that film. Yeah, Brett. That's why you're not allowed to watch The Notebook with me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if it has flaws. It has one of the hottest actors of my time in it. Eh. Is that, it is that Gosling? Place. Yes. Yeah, that dude is beautiful. He, he is very hot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and BT Dubs, a fantastic actor. If you haven't seen yeah. Drive, go watch Drive immediately. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, guy's so great. And uh, Crazy Stupid Love, he's so good. Oh, yeah. yeah that, I liked that movie. Actually. I didn't get to see that. It's a fucking great movie. It's a yeah. really good movie. You don't yeah. have to say that with a look of surprise. It's a masterpiece. It's really good. And Steve Carell was awesome in it. And yeah. Emma so you were still. saying, Brett. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is one of those ones that I don't think I've ever heard anything bad about. And so I imagine just because of that, there's probably some really good stuff in it. Uh, I'm excited see it i i hope it's not too depressing <laughs> what do you think sam i think i i kind of have the same exact answer as ash on this like i haven't seen it i haven't seen scenes from it i don't know much about it i have kind of the same general tone from everyone i've talked to about this film and i remember the train tracks i think it's on the dvd cover i think that's why we remember it and yeah, I think I'm going to like it. I think it's going to be kind of one of those bittersweet movies where like it's really it's really good but has like stuff that's a little too sad and real in it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of my expectation. Yeah, as you guys are saying all this, I want to like say things that I'm not going to say. So what do you think, Bryce? I mean, I feel like I've heard mostly good things about this this film, you know, uh, a bunch of kids playing baseball. It's, you know, it's supposed to be a great film. Right on. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to watch Stand By Me. Um, unfortunately, it's not on the Netflix or the Hulu or anything like that, but you can buy or rent it on iTunes or uh, Amazon. And I'm guessing Google Play, I forgot to look, but yeah, it's available for purchase or rent in those online services. So yeah, check it out. We're going to watch Stand By Me and we'll jump back on and tell you what we think. Thank you.
Doesn't, doesn't stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Darling, stand. Stand by me. Stand by me. Darling, darling, stand. That song sounds like somebody forgot the words to the song. <laughs> me. It was me. I forgot the words. <laughs> it's just Stand By Me, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just Stand By Me. The song is called Darling, Darling, Stand By Me, Stand By stand Me, by Oh, me. Stand By Me. And then do, 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 do. <laughs> so I'm kind of feeling like we should have taken the bet. I was yeah. wondering halfway through the movie, I was like, did Nick not take the bet just because you knew that you would win and like you just were I'd being merciful? <laughs> wait, us. wait, wait, wait. He would win? Whoa. Are uh -oh. you kidding Do me? Do we have a polar difference here? Are you kidding me? What the fuck was like Sandlot? Because, okay, there was a Whoa, dog and really? a voiceover and then the uh -huh. ending where they recapped everyone's lives. That first was off, it. there was the whole plot of Sandlot within like the first 20 minutes of the film. What was that? And then, yeah, yeah. What, the what? whole dog with the exact same, um, the exact same, uh, what's it called? So there's like a the scene reveal where the kids ran like from a dog? No, it's exactly the same. There's a dog that everyone in the town is afraid of that used to work, that still works in the movie at a, what's the word? Junkyard. Junkyard. So that's the same. And it was a major lesson to them to realize that it wasn't a monster. It was yes, just a dog. Totally. There is the voiceover. That is one. There is the overall theme of the movie, which is these team of boys growing together and growing up and learning. That's a little broad. To yeah, <laughs> right. It is. But there's way more than that. There's the whole let's recap where everybody went to at the end, yeah. including the fade out of the guy. Yeah, but that's like yeah. which, every movie from the 80s. Yeah. And I the that's a trope. when they're in the treehouse. The, talking There's about a tree house. Okay. I swear to God, that's they, the same shot. They roasted when, marshmallows. When he's talking about s'mores oh, and when they're playing the card game and there's yes, the those, shot those on River Phoenix. Yeah, those, those were hamburgers. Those were hamburgers. No, 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 no. I mean, when they're in the treehouse in Sandlot talking about s'mores and in Sand or in Stand By <laughs> Me, there's a shot of River Phoenix playing cards that is exactly the same shot. Yeah, it is. As the kid talking and explaining s'mores. s'mores. Yeah. I don't I don't even think these movies are comparable. Like the only thing comparable is wow. that they're about kids. Wow. Tonally, they are so different. Like they are not oh, even the same type of story. Like yeah, the, no the, doubt. The, the tone think, is very different. I mean, I see I, what you're saying, but I feel like the comparisons end at there were boys and a dog. Yeah. And it, it was no, a scary dog. We just listed several other comparisons. And, and a voiceover from the main kid as an adult talking about how it was the most important formative 80s, experience 80s of his life. That's not, a, that's not a movie ripoff. There's the whole thing about a kid telling a story and we go into the kid's story and we see a filmmaking, a quirky filmmaking scene of the kid telling the story. That happened. We got a ball game here. Like, I'm sorry, but there's like a lot of but similarities. Yeah, but I don't, but I think there's, it's, the movies aren't similar to each other. They're yeah. just like super, super like... E easy, e like within reach, tropey. The movies like it was, are it was so similar to so each other that they are they are just as similar as the new Star Wars is 
Oh, to no, no, the original. no, no, well, no, hold on. no, no. I, Sam's right. The tone is very, very different. The tone is different, but, but, but there are, and I would argue in The Force Awakens, the tone is different. I would totally make that argument. I, I mm. totally. I would disagree with that. But I think that the the similarities, the surface similarities are all there. Yeah, but the just movies like, aren't similar to each other. They're just similar to every 80, 80s movie. Like that was Brett, a serious trope in the 80s was the narrator. I can name a lot of 80s movies like, that don't have these fade, exact fade, same things. Fade to where were the they, they in the future. that created those tropes. Yeah. Every movie after this is is it's, stealing those tropes. Yeah. Was this, Although I got to look up. This was, was Christmas, before Sandlot. Yeah, was this a Christmas, Christmas story? I know where you're going with that. Yeah, I got to look that up real quick. I mean, not that it doesn't... <laughs> doesn't matter if it's pre-Christmas story like they're so like different types of storytelling that's like saying every movie with terrorists is like die hard yeah and and that was the the apology that I was forming in the beginning like admittedly Sandlot is very funny and it's a different tone and it's a different experience totally absolutely I don't think anyone's arguing that I think we're just arguing that there's a lot of similarities on the surface you can't be surprised that I saw shadows of Stand By Me and absolutely not I mean as we were watching the movie I was like wow and they even did the fade out thing wow and like you know as things kept happening I was like wow I'm, I'm really surprised you were totally right Nick you know, yeah. I think tone wise, you're absolutely right, Sam. Like it is a different movie, but there are, you can't deny that there's an awful lot of similarities. Yeah. It just the felt movies. like they were digging in the same toolbox though. I, yeah, it totally. was, they weren't, it wasn't a comparable movie experience. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. arguing that it's the same movie. I, we're just arguing that there's so, an awful lot of similarities. Yeah, I guess when you had set it up initially, you made it sound like the Sandlot was a cheap ripoff of Stand By Me. This is which, the, op- the what I was operating under. Yeah, and it's <laughs> not it's not even comparable in that respect. No, uh, like, I think I think Nick's just saying that there's an awful lot of similarities but between the all, movies. They're all like like the Please thing. name another 80s movie where kids are afraid of a dog that works in a junkyard because I don't know one. No, <laughs> and that's like but that I don't know. The the things that are similar are like so non-consequential to the story and stand by me. Like Yeah, the stories were not right, similar but at all. Just, yeah. They're yeah. just oddly specifically similar. Yeah, it was which just is like just weird, weird weird exactly. Weird coincidences that were like uh tangent to the story. I definitely see where you're coming from. I can see how what I said would have made you think that this was a comedy with similar in tone and all that stuff. And, and maybe I misrepresented it in that way. Yeah. Maybe I misrepresented it because there are clearly some things that are very similar, but you're absolutely right. The tone is very different. Sandlot is a very funny, very fun movie. But I would also argue that like there, the Sandlot was kind of trying to tell a little bit of a similar story where it's this one kid saying, hey, this other kid in my childhood really affected my childhood. And this other kid sticking up for me and being my friend really made a difference in who I am today. And that's the same story that I just saw, really, is, you know, this kid, this other kid reflecting on, hey, this other kid that I grew up with, that I had the exper- these experiences with that stuck up for me. Uh, really affected who I am today, and yeah. 
I totally think that both movies made that, had that theme and were telling that story. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, but they were told so differently, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right, it's a different theme. Just the, the comment that really stuck out, like, or the first time was Nick was like so many, they hit so many emotional beats. So I was like expecting the emotional beats and like, holy crap, was this a kick in the pants of sadness. And when I was like expecting like, oh, ha ha, they're on a roller coaster, gonna barf up, you know, tobacco everywhere. And like, oh, they're gonna be, you know, building crazy machines. Which by the way is the other similarity is the the hilarious barfing scene. (laughs) That's true. There's a funny, hilarious barfing scene. You cannot Uh, say that having barfing (laughs) (laughs) the same. A complete and total barfo rama. Yeah. (laughs) And that that was a funny scene. I love that scene so much. But it was in the middle of a movie that I felt was like 0% fun. Yeah. <laughs> but it needed to establish Gordy, Gordo as a real storyteller. Yes. And yeah. it needed to, to add some comic relief. But you uh, know, Jerry O'Connell I'm, was well, kind of going, the comic relief. Going somewhere with that thought was every single service that we could find this on listed this movie as a comedy. What? What? Wrong. Definitely yeah. wrong. Amazon listed as a com- adventure action comedy drama in that order. Well, I guess it's alphabetical. Action. Well, more like adventure, right? Yeah. Not action. I'm totally drama. It felt drama, like yeah. just straight yeah. drama. And like they happened to be on an adventure. Yeah. Now, to answer your question, uh, Christmas Story was 83. So before this, Wonder Years was 88. So after this. Ah, Okay. 88. That's my year. My year. Amazon has this as a comedy. Uh, Google Play. You can't actually rent it on Google Play yet, but it's listed as a comedy there. Weird. So wrong. People are in for a fucking surprise, man. So wrong. (laughs) I feel like I've seen on on those like streaming services, I've seen movies listed so incorrectly. Like I've seen American Psycho listed as a comedy and I'm like, no. I would get on board with that faster than this being a comedy. God, that's not I mean, at least there's there's more stuff to laugh at in American Psycho. I guess. Guys, if you can laugh at killing women, weirdos. Okay, so this movie is not a comedy, completely oh. different tone, yeah. but one of the best movies you've ever seen? Absolutely. No. What? <laughs> Sorry, I said- We got us a ball game. Here I am. I'm just being an asshole. Oh, like, speak your right. mind, please. Wow. I don't know. If um, you hate it, dig in. No, I don't hate it. Um, Certainly don't hate it. I think what it is is like, it just hit too close to home for me to enjoy it. Mm. Wouldn't that but, mean that it's good? Like if it hits you close to home, so, that means that it's like portraying strong emotions for you. No, I would say like if th- that's debatable. Like if so there's Sam, a movie you- that depicts like a really like horrifically realistic, violent, like you know, beat up scene or something, like that doesn't make it good. That just makes it okay. real. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess. But I would argue that that's good filmmaking, and therefore it is a good film. Yeah, I that's my argument. Yeah, I wouldn't. Okay, so here's. Where I'm coming from is, it's. I don't think it's a bad movie. I. Think, so you saw a dead body as a kid? Is that what you're telling us, Sam? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not specifically me so much as like my family. Like very much like the main character was very much my dad. Like he had a younger brother that got mm. hit by a car oh. and died as a kid. Oh, wow. And wow. like had 
problems with like his parents dealing with the death and like wow it got i mean like it got tough <laughs> for me to watch yeah. wow um, so it's a very personal story for you yeah. yeah and i guess maybe that's why i couldn't enjoy it because i just like kept seeing like all of my family members and like like the, this is a very real story yeah. that a lot of kids had to go through and it was just incredibly sad and well I know it's a sensitive thing, but I want to briefly hit on why I love Marshall Bell so much in this movie. Just that one little line in the dream sequence, it should have been you, Gordo. Oh. And that just hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And I just love what he did with just that one line. Well, it's interesting that you say that, Sam. But for me personally, this was not as sad as I expected it to be, oh. honestly. Well, I was I was expecting, and Bryce and I looked at each other and we we're like, doesn't one of the kids die? Like we expected one of the four main kids to die. Like every time yeah. anyone has ever talked to me about this film, yeah. I always got the feeling that it was four kids who went on this adventure together and one of them died and the three of them had to deal with that together. Uh, they and weren't even for me, pushing, a, pushing that plot there too because the whole they time were. they never were like, we saw that kid's dead body. He was like, that was the first time I saw a dead body. I'm like, oh shit, one of these kids is going to die and they're not going to find the one they're looking for. And like, they were totally <laughs> setting up the Chris character to be the one to die yeah, and eventually I, he does die but like they totally set his character up throughout the whole story as like the whole time I'm like he's the one that's gonna die he's gonna die but oh for my me God. this movie is about coming to terms with John Cusack's death which right, didn't which happen I in didn't the timeline of the movie but that's really powerful for me right and I like I said I didn't know about that I just you know when anyone has ever talked about the movie I didn't know anything about the actual plot, but I always got this sense that one of the main characters die. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it was uh, not that one of the main characters die, but that one of the main characters' brothers, you know, is dealing is, with is a facing death. that that reality yeah. that he and I, his family cannot digest. Yeah, well, I, I have Sam. a thought about your your uh, your embraces not finding it as sad as you thought. Because uh, I felt the same way. Because we're horrible people. <laughs> no, uh, I think so. This is this is a bit of a, a bit of a walk. But uh, I was actually talking about this earlier in a completely different category uh, with with Sam while we were uh, driving to work today, um, and it was about classical music. And uh, I had this thought that there's a lot of classical music that uh, I really don't like, and it's beautiful. And it's like technically brilliant, but there's just, there's just nothing there for, for me emotionally. And I feel like, uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure Nick disagrees at least, uh, that this movie felt like that to me where like it was a technical mastery of playing like these kids, you know, the kid with the abusive parents and the kid with the emotionally abusive parents and like the, the murder and the asshole kids and, and like the, the psycho one. And it was like all this stuff that was piled on and it was supposed to make you feel like sad and, and all of this, but all I felt was just like that it was there and it was like, they did it really well, but somehow missed the emotional beat that I needed to really connect with it. Huh. So and what you're saying I, is that you're a cold-hearted bastard. <laughs> I, I have a huge amount of respect for the piece of art that you see as 
as a great piece of art that you do not enjoy. Yeah, that's pretty tremendous because- You know, I respect that. Like, yeah. I, I, I have to look at somebody like Justin Bieber and respect that a lot of people love that guy for some reason. He's not for me. You have to respect that he's talented, whether yeah. he's your cup of tea or not. Sure, whatever, that's fine. But there's still talent there. And I, I wish I could come up with a better example, but um, um, well, Walking like, Dead hits me. You know, okay. lots of people love that, but to me, it's just, it does not land at all. Yeah, or like art, there's a lot of artists, right? That not everybody digs, like not every, everybody might not dig a Monet painting, but you have to respect the fact that like that dude knew what the fuck he was doing. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of respect for that. Yeah, so I think that's where where I'm going with that is like, definitely this is a good movie, uh, but I wonder if it's like just technically good or if it's like like Nick was saying all time classics cuz i it well, doesn't it doesn't make it to all time classics for me for that reason. Well it resonates in a huge huge way for me. Well and i think with a lot of people. I don't think you're alone yeah. because yeah. a lot of people talk about this movie, but i think that's an interesting statement and you know maybe maybe it's a statement that because uh, both you and Sam said that you guys really felt that Sandlot was an example of your childhood and you guys really related to that film, which is cool. For me, I really related to this film um, and this film felt felt more realistic to me for my childhood. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this was more along the lines of my childhood of that that time when you're growing up and you realize like life is fucked up, man. And you, as a kid, I, and this yeah. is something that I always think about as an adult. And as I've gotten older, I've tried to like be more open with my friends because as a kid, I feel like it was easier to open up to your friends mm -hmm. and let them know what, was going on in your life. And this movie was a perfect example, like a beautiful illustration of that, where these kids are all struggling with these like really horrible things going on in their life. And they're not afraid to like cry in front of their friends. That yeah. milk money scene. Yes. That's exactly what you're talking about. Or even and the scene where the kid goes crazy because that guy calls his dad a loony. Yeah. Like that's yeah. another but, but perfect But the milk money example. scene particularly some of the best performances I've ever seen from children, yeah. but this no adult would understand, but also coming to terms with like, I never thought a teacher would be that. Right, you know? realizing how fucked up life can be. Like adults are not infallible. Mm -hmm. Like they can be the bad guys too. Totally. And, and I just completely, I really related to the Chris character uh, as, as a kid in elementary school when other kids were being picked on, I was the person who beat up the bullies. <laughs> and so I was the Chris character. I was mm. the character that the other kids called on to like go beat up the bullies because I would stand up to them. Um, and, and I very much feel like Gorda. Like mm. I didn't realize it till I was watching it now, but like this probably has a, is a big reason why I felt the need to get out of my hometown. Interesting. Mm. You know, this really, this is my origin story is, is what this movie taught me. Wow. So oh. for me, sorry, I was just saying like, you know, to wrap it up for me, I think I felt this way 
about the film as you guys felt about Soundlot, where for me, it just felt like a more authentic uh, childhood experience for me personally. But I don't think that that discredits the way that you feel, Brett. You know, I just think that it's a personal experience, relatability. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think, so Sandlot is fluff and candy. (laughs) This is like, this this is meat and potatoes. I guess. So, right. Yeah, uh, that's a great analogy. And like in terms of like watching it and enjoying it, like you watch Sandlot and you relate to stuff, but it's like the happy memories from childhood. And this is yeah. like really like, oh shit. Like coming is- to terms with real life. The yeah, real- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And backtracking a little bit, you said that it's about like Gordy coming to terms with his brother's death. I would... I felt that it was more of like Gordy's story with coming to terms with who he was and that he was worth it. I think it was more like a self-validation thing. Coming out of the shadow. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah, because he kind of, he lives the whole movie like in the back, not standing up, like following the friends Mm -hmm. and like, and then at the end, he stands up for himself. Totally. So it's all about like his self-confidence um, I think he's, it's both. Yeah, it, it it is both. But he's he even like makes the statement about his parents, like you know they they haven't put the pieces back together yet. So he emotionally is more in tune with his brother's death than his parents. Mm-hmm. So I think he accepts his brother's death, but I don't think he knows what it means for him and his life. Though and he I, also does make that statement where he's like, "I didn't even cry." Like, I think he's still that, processing That's why I'm saying it. it's both. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was both of those things happening at the same time. Yeah. Also, and, he, and, he doesn't get the hat back. I know. I, so sad. He, here's some headcanon. I, I believe that Corey Feldman got that hat back because Corey Feldman's older brother is a guy who stole the hat. Oh. So in my headcanon, he got that hat back. Okay. I'll, I'll, but it's just I'll not allow in the movie. it. So another thought on the, the realism of this movie uh, as compared to Sandlot, the, the childhood adventures of Sandlot is, was the realism factor for me. Uh, but the, the actual like group dynamics of the boys in this group was way more accurate to like Absolutely. how weird, vicious and brutal, like yeah. boys can be to each other and still be friends. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and to really illustrate that every movie like this with, with children, there's always these cheesy little jokes, these cheesy little lines. Every time that happens in this movie, I, I wrote one of these down when they're around the campfire and they're smoking and Corey Feldman says, I cherish these moments. <laughs> the other kids make fun of him for that. Yeah. That's how that would play out in the real world. In any other movie, a kid would just say that cheesy, funny line and the audience would laugh. Would laugh, yeah. But in this, the other kids make fun of him for totally. it. Totally. And, and on the flip side too, you know, they're cruel to each other, but they're also very sweet to each other, you know? Yeah. Like, Protecting each other. Yeah, they protect each other. And, and that was really like the thing that I related to, that like really strong, a really strong bond that I feel like, when you're a kid is so easy to form. And when you're an adult, it's it's harder. You know, it's harder to open up to people. And I don't really I don't really understand why it would be like an interesting like thought 
exercise to talk to other adults about this, but like, you know, as an adult, it's like, oh, I shouldn't cry in front of other adults or, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't open up. I shouldn't reveal the struggles that are going on in my life. I should sweep that under the rug. And it's beautiful to remember when I was a kid, like, no, I wasn't ashamed of that. I was like, well, I mean, you're still a little ashamed, but you know, you're, I feel like you're more open. I wish we could all be like that still. I I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I have stronger emotional relationships with my friends as an adult than I did as a kid. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just... You don't feel like you've got less freedom? No. I feel like... Hmm. Well, maybe... Okay. I was also the socially (laughs) awkward like introvert as a kid. And I have kind of come out of that more as an adult. Yeah, you were. So yeah, yeah, as a kid, like I was so terrified of like what people thought, how I was going to come across that I was like petrified and like wouldn't talk. Like I like more than Bryce doesn't talk on this podcast. Yeah, yeah I've, I've never grown out of that. Yeah, it's yeah. like as a, as a kid, like I definitely had more like uh, you know personal freedom to like go around and do shit because you know no responsibilities. You're a kid, but like as an adult, I feel like definitely. But my my. Uh, personal yeah, relationships so responsible no like my personal relationships with people are much better as adults like mm. it's it's uh like you guys it's 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 friends by by the choice of the people you'd want to actually be with and not just of geographic convenience mm-hmm. yeah yeah which i think is what these kids were kind of learning you know they were friends because they were in this tiny ass little town right and, you know, uh, Vern and Teddy just kind of became another face in the hallway after a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, you totally, like, I don't, I mean, you're lucky, Brett, I guess, in the sense that you're still friends with your friend from fucking first grade. I know. I don't know that's how the what, fuck you did that. <laughs> I was going to make fun of you for that. And I was like, oh, it's yeah. too mean. I, I got a Facebook friend request from a girl I knew in high school the other day. And I'm like, Why? I get Facebook friend requests from people from like, I don't even remember them, you know? Yeah. Like, I just don't, I don't remember people from that far back. And like, what's the point? I just don't, yeah. But like, that's amazing that you've continued that relationship. But, you know, I, I haven't really continued the relationship with anybody from that far back. But I remember having, I don't know, I just remember having profound moments with people in my youth where I was able to like open up and and just amazed at how you wouldn't really be judged because everybody was like yeah you know that sucks I I I don't know like I know I would be comfortable with doing that with you guys but you know not like everybody yeah you know I don't know it's an interesting, it just, it, it was like a beautiful illustration and reminder of that time period yeah. In this yeah. movie. Where, where you came into trust in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's something, I mean, there's lots of things that are very powerful that hit me so hard in this movie. But I want to talk for a moment about how perfect Kiefer Sutherland is. Oh, so fucking good. And I think it's so important to set up your villain as truly threatening, which I'm not going to spoil The Force Awakens. I'm sure everybody else has seen it. But there wasn't until one moment in The Force Awakens where finally this lackluster villain became truly threatening. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. So Kiefer Sutherland is this, you know, he kind of rules this gang. And then there's that road race 
where he did not back down and he ran the logging truck off of the road. Mm-hmm. So that when there's that face-off between Kiefer Sutherland and I guess the moment is between, well, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland and Will Wheaton. It was after the gun was out. So there's that face-off, Kiefer Sutherland and Will Wheaton. And Kiefer- Or even before that, when he pulls the, the knife on Chris, you're like, right. he's gonna fucking But it kill came him. to a head once Will Wheaton had the gun out, once Gordy right. had the gun out. And it was, he's- very nuanced performance of like, he's lost control and he's trying to keep his head above water. He's trying to keep the power. And he says, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot us all. And he says, no ace, just you. Yeah. That was like a straight up, like badass action movie. Line. That was so amazing. I mean, that awesome. is, you've set up your villain as truly threatening and you've done the one thing that could take him down. And God damn it. That's not, one of the most powerful things on film. Yeah. Also, great. that plant is very heartbreaking of like the, I'm totally blanking on his name right now, the kid that gets stabbed as an adult, like almost gets oh. stabbed as a kid. Oh, and he went for his neck too. Wow, I yeah. didn't make that connection. That's fast. I wow. didn't think about it because that's what he expected to happen to him as a At child. At that moment. Yeah. I'm never going to get out of this town. I'm going to be the ruffian. I'm going to get you know, stabbed and yeah. then it came back to him when he was an adult, he'd broken wow. out of it. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. You know, this really makes me want to go back and read or watch it. A- another story by Stephen King mm. about the kids, but, but it, it is a story about kids as children and then again as adults. So we see oh. the balance between them. I know you let me borrow it like forever ago. <laughs> you never watched it. <laughs> no. That's another one of those ones I've never seen. And yeah. it's Tim Curry, right? Tim Curry. Wow. And it's long because it was a TV miniseries. So if you watch oh, okay. it as a movie, you're getting into three hours of content. Oh, well, I, I just want to say, you know, kind of moving on from the actual story, the filmmaking mm. in this movie is amazing. And like, just <laughs> sort of like you were touching on Brett, where like just technically perfect you know, very well executed. Like the uh, the scenes that really like stood out to me, well, the one scene that really stood out to me was where um, Corey Feldman is standing on the train tracks and he's like, I'm going to dodge a train and River Phoenix pulls him off the train tracks and you see them fight and you can't really hear what they're saying, but you, and you can hardly really even see them because there's this just wonderful shot of we're on the other side Mm. of the tracks the train is going by and in between the train we see bits and pieces of their skirmish and that was just like perfect like perfectly done i was thinking the same thing because they had to reset a train oh yeah for every take they did but more more my point is more that like what a perfectly emotionally executed decision of a shot and um and, you know, they did it again with the shot that you pointed out was uh, they shot with a telephoto lens of the two kids running on the train bridge with the train in the distance. And you were saying they shot that shot with a telephoto lens yeah. to compress the space and make it look like the train was right behind them. Yeah, the two kids running from the train, that square shot where you mm-hmm. see the train directly behind them is 100% real shot. Wow. Because they did it with a telephoto and they compressed the the depth. Uh, so... Uh, Always, always on the the counterpoint. Uh, <laughs> during that same the train on the bridge scene, uh, 
because I noticed that shot was a good shot. And then yeah. like you noticed the green screen shot. I know. Well, there's a couple of shots that throughout the movie were like things that that felt in the moment, like in the past, they were like technically awesome. And like now it's a shot that. I, I, I can't place, but like, I'm tired of seeing it. Uh, it you know, it's one of those things that, but like, it was probably done first in this movie. It might've been. And the one I'm thinking of specifically, uh, is when, uh, oh, fuck, what's that kid? That, the, the fat kid, when he drops his comb, Jerry O'Connell. Oh yeah. And he, and he, and they do that like goofy, like, Oh my God, like face into the camera. And then like the long <laughs> shot of it falling down and then back up towards him. And it's like this weird, you know, uh, the weird angle. Mm-hmm. And, and, but like in, in the middle of a otherwise like great scene, there was like a couple of shots that I felt like in the moment they were like, this belongs here. And yet, uh, nobody would do that nowadays. Well, I think the point of that shot was to illustrate how far down the drop really was from their point of view. So you saw the the kid's point of view of how far of a drop that really would be. So therefore, when the train comes, you understand why they don't just instantly jump off the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Also, it was comic relief. And, and it's like mm-hmm. playing the audience like a symphony to build that tension. Right. Twist that release valve a little bit, you know. Also, I feel it was a a big character moment, too, for that that kid with the comb. Like, he was so Mm -hmm. concerned about appearances and, like, finally getting their fame. And, like, obviously, like, then from that point on, it's kind of like, oh, this is a real, like, real danger for us to be out here. And it kind of is a switch in the story from, like, fun adventure to, like, we're really in danger and mm-hmm. this is a serious thing that we're doing. Yeah. And yeah, that's like, a good point. totally, totally that like for the story point, but, and it wasn't really a, so much a story comment as it was like nowadays the shot that would be ha- yeah, the shot selection. Uh, because you know that it was like that same angle that they used to compress the train. Like, it was looking down and you couldn't really see how far the thing fell. Uh, and like nowadays that might be handled through like a, a wide or, or like something where you actually would see the height of it or, you know, some other, some other cleverer thing than just the wily coyote fell off a cliff. There goes my comb shot. You know? I don't know. I, I have to disagree. I don't think you would have gotten the sense of vertigo if you had uh, done a wide shot. I, that shot personally to me really gave me a like whoa yeah if i was standing on the edge of the bridge looking down this is what it would look like and it gave me a sense of vertigo that i don't think you would have gotten with a wide personally and but. and to add to sam's point about building the character and this is like the same character vern jerry o'connell just the most brilliant and tiny and forgettable but perfect little note that was just so perfect for his character. At the end, he's walking away and he picks up the penny. It's like, yeah, hey, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that is great. what makes Rob Reiner such a such yeah. a brilliant filmmaker and what makes it such a brilliant movie. So that I was kept such like bracing character. myself expecting him to be like hit, hit by, by a car, car. Yeah. because Aww. of the you framing. You were thinking the wrong things. Well, the framing of that shot, like kind of like Brett's point nowadays in filmmaking, in a that different framing yeah. would have Yeah, you wouldn't meant... do that unless you were going to kill him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> that, that would not have fit in. The other characters had really strong emotional moments that they really like played up and did a good job of. But in terms of like the acting as a believable kid, I feel like he was the most believable mm. and genuine throughout the entire movie as a kid. Mm. Yeah, like the train on the bridge scene and they're running away from it. Like there was one shot where it was just like, fuck, those are like real tears on this kid's face, like yeah. r- running away from <laughs> the train. Well, it was just like when simple he, stuff too. Or when he kept interrupting the story. Yeah. There was yes. always that one yes. kid who, yes. like Ash said at some point, read the room. Like the one <laughs> yeah, kid who could read the room <laughs> and didn't get what was happening here. Yeah. Where did it... It was when he started singing after the kid's dad got called like a loony and he's singing and he just starts singing and I was like, God, read the room. And that other kid is like, sorry, I'm ruining your fun. And I was like, oh. Another thing about this movie, and this is definitely not something I didn't like, but uh, (laughs) it's a thing that usually bothers me, but they like fucking pulled it off in this one, which is... Uh, my least favorite movie trope, planting the gun. Oh, yeah. Like, literally, that's what happened in this movie. You mean uh, establishing that they had the gun? Like, every, every so many movies are like, the first 10 minutes have, you know, uh, oh, like, you know, here's here's like a fun contraption, and then like, you forget it, and then in the end, it saves the day. Uh, you mm, know, and it, it's... Okay. So... yeah. It's uh You mean you mean they set up and paid off something? It's not a setup and a payoff. It's it's a fix in post is what it is. They got to the end of the story and had no way out and wrote in a fix at back no, at the beginning. No, I disagree. They definitely wrote that in the script. And, and the, the gun was in a bunch of the shots. Like, yeah, I yeah, but it wasn't story things. vital until the very until but, the very end. Like it was yeah. it was uh well, you can make that argument, sure, yeah. but it was not a fix it in post. It I was... think the gun paid off with the let's stand watch scene. Yeah. Oh my God. That, that is was totally good. me. And had camping. we never seen the gun again, we'd have been full circle on the gun. Right. That yeah, is- well, that, and that's why, maybe why it works so well at the end, because you weren't still waiting for it to come back after that scene. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, by the way, that's why Shyamalan's surprise shit always works. Because Shyamalan always ends the movie and you've got a complete satisfied end of the movie, then there's the surprise ending. Wait, are we talking about... That's just a reversal of audience expectation, which is just part of the story structure. But I would argue that there was a reversal of expectation here. While I was, yes, expecting the gun to play a factor into the end climax, I was expecting the Chris kid to pull out the gun and my reversal of expectation was when Will Wheaton pulled out the gun. I was yeah. not expecting Will Wheaton to pull out the gun. Absolutely. And it was a character counterpoint, too, where he yes. is suddenly acting differently than he would have at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. yeah, I don't have a problem with them setting up the gun like that is correct storytelling. You should set up the gun like it shouldn't just come out of left field. I think it's uh, yeah, but I think the planting the gun is an optional storytelling device, and uh, this they did it super well. And so often it's just this like cheap Deus Ex Machina of a uh, of an gotcha. ending. Like oh yeah, I guess yeah that was in there earlier. Okay, sure that that works. Gotcha. And, like, <laughs> also too, the way they introduced the gun, 
was really telling of the character's relationship too, because he, you know, presents the gun. No, dude, it's not loaded. I promise. I swear. And then it goes off. So it sets up this relationship of Gordy being bad by association by this friend. It sets up the whole expectation of he's a bad influence. Oh, he brought the gun. Oh, you know, he's dangerous. It also further set up my expectation that one of the four kids was going to die. Oh I expected God, why one of them. <laughs> children to die so badly? I don't want it to happen. I just, the way that everybody talks about this movie, I assume that one of the four kids died. And as soon as they introduced a gun, I was like, well, this is how it happens. Like somebody shoots somebody by accident. They were so willy nilly with it too. And after just like, just at your bachelor party, Brett, just like shooting a 45 myself. I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, that thing is so scary. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much it affects us to see a child holding a gun where in the 80s that that didn't hit us as hard. Yeah. You know, also the we'll, smoking. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll never get to it in this podcast, but I I just stumbled across Cloak and Dagger on HBO Now the other day which is a movie that I loved as a child. And damn, it hit me hard because there's a moment where Henry Thomas, as a child, has a gun and it plays out in a way that was supposed to be whimsical in that movie. But watching it now, it's horrifying. Yeah. I just kept thinking about like just how quickly that that this movie could have gone so in a like even darker direction. Yeah, because I just and also like maybe it was my frame of mind too, like expecting that one of the kids were were gonna die. But I just recently watched a supernatural episode where like uh, two of the characters killed another character when they were younger because they were fucking around in the water and holding the other one's head underwater. So like that scene Mm. where they're like fucking around holding the head underwater, I'm like expecting one of them to die. It was so awful. Uh. And is that like a weird thing that nowadays are so into like the, like the torture porn murdering of people as a plot device? Like there's, there's a lot of like, uh, it used to be like the death of somebody in the movie, like, like this thing, no one actually died in the movie. There was like someone dead before it started. And still that was like a big deal. And like, (laughs) I don't know. It seems like, like, uh, used to it. The new, I felt a bit desensitized. Definitely. Where I was like, huh, this wasn't that sad, you know? Cause I'm freaking expecting a like hero, Six moment. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a horror movie that I that I saw way way too young, and I can't remember which horror movie it was, but it started with kids playing in an abandoned building, one kid falling out the window and dying. Oh God! And uh, that Game of Thrones season one. <laughs> <laughs> and man, yes. that hit me so hard. It was the most horrifying uh, thing that I could have ever yeah. witnessed as a uh, child. Also, I can't help but kind of think of my girl um, mm. because that's kind of like in my head the girl version wait is my girl the one with the with fucking bees man the oh. bees okay yeah bees? oh I my god okay yeah. so you know what's funny is i uh the same as as last time when i when i couldn't separate little rascals and and sandlot uh this the, <laughs> the part of this that i had remembered uh was also mixed in, in completely with the bees thing 
and my girl. Yeah. See, it's Weird. not the bees part that, that is sad. It's the the scene after. Haven't seen it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> remember my girl very well. Oh my god, talk just, about an amazing childhood actor oh, or actress. Mm. Oh, I, I, yeah, like I guess this movie also sort of like you're saying brought to life. Like I was like, man, I did a lot of fucking dangerous shit as a kid. <laughs> where like I totally walked across a train bridge when a train was coming. I did that. It was horrifying. Luckily, there was a little platform I could stand on off to the side. So I jumped to that. But like, I totally related to that scene because I was like, yeah, I did that. The Napa, do you know the train bridge downtown by the fairgrounds in Napa? Yeah, I I did that there. (laughs) (laughs) I walked on the train tracks all the time as a kid. And so, uh, so on on the flip though, uh, Uh the, the, Sandlot, go get your ball back is totally a thing that kids do. Uh, Hey, we found a dead body in the woods. Let's not tell anyone and instead just go like fucking get it is not a thing that any human being I know would do. Right. I I totally, no, I totally disagree. I found, I found that believable. Yeah. Like like a whole town of kids is just like, fuck yeah, dead body. (laughs) A whole town is a little much. Well, but. It was a fantastic, unusual scenario. Yeah, and, I like fact, the originality of it. I was going to say the line, um, you guys want to go see a dead body, is probably the best call to action I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Just that line and we've got a movie. But I, I also think, you know, as a young kid, your curiosity and everything. I would have gone. I totally would have. Yeah, I totally would have too been like super interested. Like I went to graveyards and and shit as a kid at night, you know, because like, fuck, let's do that. That sounds creepy and weird. You know, Mm. I would totally Maybe I was just like a fucking goody goody or whatever. But Yeah, you guys have the Looney Tunes childhood experience. Is I would have wanted to see the dead body, but I would have fucking told an adult. Oh, no, of course not. I wouldn't have told him. No, not till after I saw it. Well, you, you told them, the plan is if you, told you them tell before, the adult and they're like, oh, where is it? And you say, let me show you. And then they no, take you there. No, that, that wouldn't have happened, though. You told the adult and they would have been like, you stay here. You're grounded. Oh, yeah. You got to go see it first. The grown before up would they never understand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Coming from the kid who grew up at a lake where there were frequently deaths that happened every year. Never once were me or my friends like, "Woo, let's go!" Yeah, yeah. someone went missing in the so lake again. Let's go with find all them. the dead bodies behind your house. Oh, no. but I just can't see you. Like, I can't. I can't see you doing that, Sam. Well, like okay. that. That True. just wasn't the type of person you or any of your siblings are. True. Like, you're all very polite, sweet people. <laughs> I can't. I'll pose the question. No, no judgment. Just curious because I feel like I'm the only one. Uh, you ever but killed like, a guy? Well, there. So, story, story motives and like make believe. Yes, want to go see a dead body. Yes, death. But like real life, somebody like someone you know is like, hey, I've got a dead body. Your response is hell yeah. Right now, no way in hell. Yeah, not as an but adult. But age 12, I think I would have gone. Yeah. Oh, man. Even me age 12, I would have been like, the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I God, and, why are you such a square? <laughs> and I have to say something about how the fantasy of that 
comes crashing down into the reality of that yeah. with another line that I thought was absolutely beautiful. And it was the narrator. Mm-hmm. The kid wasn't sick. The kid wasn't sleeping. The kid was dead. Or even before that, he says like, you know, that line where he's like, we're going to see a dead body. Maybe it shouldn't be, a, it party. Should be a party. Yeah. Um, which is really great. Like, I think, I think as a kid, my initial reaction would be like, yeah, let's go. Cause of curiosity. But you know, as time went on, they had a really long time before seeing it. I definitely think it would start to freak you out and you would start to be like, wait a minute. Like, this is kind of weird. But I think for me, the initial reaction would be like, yeah, I want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) And then upon seeing it, it probably would have hit you pretty hard. Yeah, totally. It would have been like, well, I made a huge mistake. (laughs) I I have to do it, guys. Do you want to see a dead body? No. (laughs) Doesn't have to be a dead body. (laughs) What am I missing? Is this from Frozen? Frozen. Oh my God. I knew it was from Frozen. (laughs) You did. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm done. That is the most amazing version of that song I've ever heard. I love it. I I just wanted to say before we wrap up, the the deer is something else that's so small and so powerful. And that line, I've never spoken or written of it until just now. uh, So from a story standpoint, what does that even mean? The deer? Like, I don't get it. It means that's something for him. He's, you know, this is a story that he lived and he probably told people all the time about this story, but he never told anybody about that moment. Not even the other kids on the trip. Yeah, but why is the deer important? Well, uh, to me, (laughs) I guess, I guess I read into it a little bit more than that, but I read into it almost like a moment of him connecting with his brother who's dead. And, you know, yeah, I guess you could argue that's me like really reading into it, but I I really think that's Mm. what was intended was I think, you know, that was a moment of him having this connection with this other, this like greater force in life than, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I'm not completely on board with that. I I think it was just, this was a beautiful moment and it's just for me. What about like innocence? Like, it, yeah, I don't know. I it mean, could represent innocence. Definitely, it was a moment I, outside of their adventure. Okay. Again, I guess, I guess you know, it's just personal experiences. But I've, I've totally had an experience just like that, where you know, I've, I've had, I've lost someone in my life, or I've, mm. I'm having a, a difficult time in my life when I was like a kid. And out of nowhere, here comes this force of nature that just kind of connects with me with the moment to let me know and remind me like, you know, hey, you're, I don't know that there's so much more, you know, that there's this other power. I don't know. Like I can't, I can't explain that moment, but I've had that moment. And so to me, it, it meant, it meant a lot more. And I think you have to look at the deer through the eyes of a kid that just lost his brother. And whether that was his brother or not in deer form, like, sure, probably not. But to the kid, what did that mean to him after losing his brother? And I think it's a lot more than just, oh, this is my special moment. Like, no, I think he took a lot more away from that. I think that was 
him connecting with nature and life, this circle of life that is so much bigger than you or me and having this understanding that like we're all connected, you know, it, it, I don't know. It could also be like a point of like, he's seen as non-threatening and not dangerous. So the deer walks by him. I don't know. And yeah. then he kind of at the end becomes dangerous and like a threat to, I don't know. Or maybe and it has to do for, with his vulnerability too. For me, there's a different reaction and I, I want to share it, but I don't want it to in any way diminish yeah, the reactions totally. you guys had. But for me, it's like when when I'm traveling, I'm doing some, you know, what to me is a very big, significant thing in my life. It's always got to take pictures, got to share it with people. And sometimes there's this moment where you go for the camera and it's like, no, this one's mine. I'm not taking a picture Ooh. of it. I'm not going to share it with people. That's this like uh, the secret life of Walter Mitty. Which where... I haven't seen yet. Oh, God, man. I yeah. can't. I can't say anything then. Yeah, I should check that one out. It's really good. It's like John Mayer has this song, Three by Five, that's all about like, you know, sometimes you just don't want to have the camera. Like, mm -hmm. no more three by fives. I'm going to live life. I'm going to experience life. Yeah. And not just try and take pictures of it. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's kind of what I mean, you know, like having this moment, this authentic moment where you're in touch with like nature and life. That's just so real, yeah. you know, I don't know. And I'll never tell anybody about it because this one's mine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I, I think, uh, I think there was a lot to unpack in that one. <laughs> um, you know, let, let's kind of go around the table and get final, final feedback. I, for me, I think it's easy. You know, I've loved it. I've always loved it. And you've heard what I've had to say. Everything's still firing on all cylinders for this one for me. So, thumbs up all around. Um, Sam, what did you think? I think it's a really good movie, but I think my expectations were very different and it kind of threw me off course. Mm. And so, I often feel- My fault. No, no, it's fine. Um, I often feel this way about bad movies. Like, I saw it once and I don't know if I need to see it again. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it and it was probably on the- heavier side for me to feel like I'd want to watch it again. But I certainly appreciate it and really enjoyed its filmmaking and all of the beautiful like story moments and character moments that were written in. And I really, I guess I really appreciate this film for its artistry. What do you think, Brett? I don't know if I can, if I can summarize it better than the thing I said earlier about it, which was, that I enjoyed the viewing experience and there was so much in this movie to like, especially like subverting my, my thought that the, the planting the gun is always a bad thing and actually seeing it done in a way I really enjoyed, uh, was like a big deal, I think. Cause, uh, I think that's like the only time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was missing a, something that would that made it resonate with with me that I, I definitely was probably the thing that made it resonate with with you and i just wasn't i wasn't feeling it on like the emotional level but it was like a pretty cool movie what do you think ash i loved it i i think it was a, a masterful piece of filmmaking i really enjoyed it i liked it yeah we've kind of said a lot yeah. yeah what do you think bryce it was pretty good. 
<laughs> succinct as always all right so uh that's gonna wrap up this episode if you like the show it's part of the last stash tv network of content we have a youtube channel where we have a drinking show uh, video game parodies there's a cooking show there's some interviews i don't know are they still there <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There's interviews. <laughs> we have this podcast. Uh, there's just a ton of stuff to go and look at and listen to. It's really fun. It's it's the best. Uh, um, in our our most recent video game parody that will be coming out whenever Bryce finishes the special effects will be. That's not recent. That's future. Yeah. Well, we we just shot it, but. Uh, a Fallout parody, Fallout 4. So keep keep your eyes peeled for that. But if you uh, please subscribe on YouTube, as Brett said, but also you can follow us on Twitter at TV, and you can follow this podcast at Let's Rewatch on Twitter. And don't forget to send us your movie suggestions, as Ralph did, where, again, we're sorry, Ralph. We're, we're getting a lot of mileage out of that one suggestion. Uh, out of one suggestion. At some point, we need to take some please, other suggestions. Please, please suggest movies. We we apologize that we have not done more. We really appreciate, I just want to take a moment and say we really appreciate all of you guys who tweet at us, who follow us, who send us your feedback, who tell us what you think of the movies and, and engage with us. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, episodes, whatever. Like, we really enjoy it. And you can even tell us what you think on iTunes, right, Sam? If you liked us, please go ahead and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on Google Play Music, which we are now streaming on and we are very excited yeah. about. Yeah. You know, speaking of the Twitter, I was just remembering, I was trying to think, who was it who posted a picture where they saw both Lethal Weapon and Sandlot in the bargain bin and picked them up? And I was oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was Ralph Farley's again. It was Ralph yeah. again. We love you, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, I have so many fucking dollar store movies that I bought. Yeah, some of them will roll up in the podcast, I'm sure. One other thing, we all also have personal Twitters. Samantha L. Wilson. Brett Eagles. I got it right. Ashes Stash. One Wheel Nick. Ignoff. The weirdest <laughs> fucking Twitter name you could ever have. So, of course, we do this every two weeks. So be sure to subscribe and check with us. We'll have another episode for you two weeks from now. Yeah, thanks for listening. Next time, we'll be watching The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing. Yes! You have to do that one. <laughs> Come on, who doesn't love cat dancing?